Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you, uh, my guest today is going to answer a question for me that I posed living out in L.A. for 13 years. And I lived in San Diego for six years before that. And I'm always on the quest to find a good cheesesteak. Now, I have a question. One thing that bothers me is, I, I, well, first of all, I went to a place, I walked by a place, it was a kebab house. They said they had the best Philly cheesesteak, but they spelled Philly with a F, F-I-L-Y, which cracks me up because they know what they're talking about. But then you go to certain places like the chains, like Subway or Jersey Mike's, and everyone puts red peppers on their steak. Now, when I grew up, when I grew up, you know, we used to go, you know, I grew up in Cherry Hill, so we would go to Big John's, but, you know, I would go to all the different places, and every place, just so you know, every place in the Philadelphia area knows how to make a cheesesteak. And I always sat, thought that a cheesesteak was specifically, you ordered it, and it came with meat, cheese, and onions. And then all of a sudden, these chains are saying there's red pepper on it. So we're going to ask my guest, who only happens to own like a ton of cheesesteak places, and he's the, he's the king of cheesesteaks in Philly. Tony Luke, how you doing, Tony? Hey, it's good to see you, Steve. Good to see you. Now, what's your, I saw you shake your head. What is that? I mean, a red, pe- red peppers, unless, I mean, the chopped peppers are fine, but what, why do people start putting red peppers on cheesesteaks? You know, I, I can only assume for the same reason that a lot of people chop the steak to death. If you're using a lower-grade meat, it doesn't have any flavor at all. So if you take a lower-grade meat, it's also very chewy. So if you chop a a low-grade meat, it'll be a little more tender because you're making it almost like ground beef, but it's still not going to have any flavor. So they put sweet peppers on it. They put onions on it. They put all these things to try to give it a flavor, but I've said this a thousand times, and I'll say it a thousand and one times. A cheesesteak is a roll, steak meat, your choice of cheese other than Swiss, never Swiss. Exactly. And onions. That's it. I've always Philadelphia cheesesteak does not have sweet peppers on it. And it always pisses me off. You go to a place and I'm like, you see the commercial and it's Ryan Howard going, hey. Uh, I'm like, no, Ryan, you live in Philly. You, well, you he should know. be crucified. He's getting paid. He's yeah. getting paid. So now it's an interesting road how you end up in the restaurant business. As a, You went to a, you went to a acting uh, dramatic arts I was school. the first graduating class of uh, creative and performing arts in Philadelphia. I had a drama major and a music minor. Vocal minor. Now, as a kid, what drove you to that field? Because everyone has different things. Like, did you see a TV show or did you just, I mean, start playing music? I mean, how did you end up following that, going to a high school? Because it's a big thing. I have a lot of actors on my show and they take an acting class in high school. But a lot of people just didn't go to an acting school, especially in Philadelphia. I mean, we're, we're, you're, I think, a year older than me. Back then, there wasn't kids acting. I mean, I went to Cherry Hill East and there was a great acting program, but no one joined it. I mean, there were certain kids. Who went, I mean, how did you end up following that path? Was it something that as a kid you wanted to do it, or I mean, how's that happen? Well, it's actually a very unusual path. It's 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 kind of a South Philly path. Um, always wanted to be an entertainer. Always wanted to be a singer, songwriter, actor. Love that whole that whole field I, for as far back as I can remember. I mean, I always knew that that's what I wanted to do. Unfortunately, that's not what you did in South Philly. You know, you were a truck driver. You were a cook or you were a mob guy. I mean, those were those were your choices. You know, or your construction worker. That was it. So I, I went to a school for a high school called uh, St. John Newman's. And after the first year, towards the end of the first year, they strongly suggested that I leave. Were you uh, a bad kid? I was a very bad kid, yes. Uh, I still don't know how I'm not dead or in prison now from then uh so i quit i quit school at um, 14 years old i just didn't want to go back to school got a job loading trucks and that's what i was going to do you know i was making money you know i didn't know i'm a kid i'm like i'm making money these kids are in school i don't need school you know now how did your parents react to that well that was it my father came to me and he said look you're 14 years old you're going back to school (laughs) you know he's like i don't want to hear nothing you know what I mean? And I'm like, well, I'm not going. He's like, you are going. He said, now, I just read in the paper that they're having an audition for some kind of a school called Creative and Performing Arts. It's the first of its kind in Philadelphia. He goes, you always want to be an actor, singer, because my father thinks all that is crap. You know, what does he, he do? He's old school. He was a truck driver. Okay. And then he started his own business. And, you know, he always had business. He always worked for himself. But he just thought that was, you know, he just didn't do it. And I auditioned as a joke because I just wanted to appease him in audition. And I don't remember how many, but I know there were well over a few thousand kids 
that auditioned for the school. And I think, I mean, I'm going back a long time, maybe 150 were chosen, and I got chosen. And I have to tell you, it not only changed my life, it saved my life, or I would have been dead now. Now, how do you, when you say that, elaborate, it changed and saved your life just because you had a discipline of acting, it, it put you in the right direction? I mean, how did it do those things for you? Was it just a- Nah, it had nothing to do with acting. It's, you know, I was raised to hate everything and everyone around me. And it didn't matter color, race, creed. If you didn't live within my 10 block radius, I wasn't supposed to like you. Even other Italians in that 10 block, you know, my whole world was 10 by 10 blocks. I mean, that's- just the way it was. And then I get to this school and there's all of these races and religions and all of these different kids and they're amazing and they're wonderful and no one's trying to kill me. No one is my enemy. And then, I, you know, I had this like epiphany, like have I been lying? Now, let me preface this by it was never my parents who taught me that. It was the street. It was the right. kids. It was the street. That's where you learned it. You didn't trust anyone outside your 10 block radius. And that was it. And then I, I thought there's a whole world out here of amazing people of all colors, all religions, you know, uh, all these different beliefs. And and I was in a box this whole time and it changed my outlook on life. It changed the way I interacted with people and it literally saved my life and my soul. I mean, really, it, it completely changed me. Let's just say, so if the listeners, if you don't, if you're not familiar with South Philly, just one thing I used to always check out when you've been in South Philly area. The one was the uh, the garbage cans to mark the uh, parking spots. <laughs> yeah. That was one thing that, and people, if you parked in that spot, you would get your ass whooped. Yeah, you'd have a fight. That's yeah. just crazy. And then well, they put in the chairs middle, in and the they middle. park in the middle of the street. Right, everyone parks in the middle of the street, which that always threw me people off. People think is absolutely insane. <laughs> at at our location on Front and Oregon. People would come and everyone's in the middle of the street and people would be like, aren't the cops going to tell you? I'm like, nah, just stay there. You're good. So you go through the acting school and then now you, you go four years, three years or four. I went uh, three years because okay. I started as a sophomore. So then you graduate. I graduate. Well, that's another story. I did graduate, but I didn't graduate until 15 years later. Well, what happened? Well, I wanted to be an actor. So... One month before graduation, I decided I'm coming to L.A. and I want to be an actor. I quit school one month prior to graduating. I sell everything I have. I get on a plane and I come to L.A. And I remember walking off the plane and looking at this giant thing that I had no idea what it was. And it was a palm tree. And I had never seen a palm tree in my entire life. And I get to L.A. I have no place to live, no place to stay. I don't know anyone or anything. And needless to say, I get myself in a lot of trouble here. I stay about four months, five months, and have to leave. Where, where, where did you live? Because I always, because I always ask people where the first place to live and when they come from back east. Because I always say it's a lot different. Like in Philadelphia, you know when it's a bad neighborhood. Hey, there's a there's no a LA. Project. You can't tell. You can't because you're driving. And I always say you can tell when there's the language and the uh, signs start changing. Or there's a lot of check cashing places. Well, with, with me, it's always you know I, I've been around so much that you it, it's it's you can't always tell a book by its cover. To me, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I don't judge it by anything other than eye contact with the people I'm around. There's a certain look that you get when you're not welcome somewhere, or a certain look that you get when something's about to go down and that's that because I've been in some horrifically bad neighborhoods I mean neighborhoods where you know there was one and two murders a day literally it was and I got along fine you know I walked I carried myself in the way I always carry myself and I know where there's trouble and I've had trouble in areas where most people would think is great right like this is a cool area and I had some real issues there. So I, people, you can tell a lot from people because I, I never thought I was a bad kid when I was young. I mean, I fought all the time, but in my neighborhood was bad. So, I, you know, I don't think it's the look of the buildings or, the, or, or, or anything. I think it's the people. In every neighborhood, I have learned that there are really good people and then there are really bad people as well. And the only way to distinguish the two for me has always been eye contact. Now, 
I, I just get a vibe. I, I, I don't know if that's years and years of just, you know, doing what I did and, and, and going the places I went, but I just get a vibe. I pick it up and some people can't see it. I can. And I get, and when I say a vibe, I mean a defensive vibe. I'll be a place like I'll go somewhere with my girl and she'll say, all right, I'm like, no, I'm on the defense. And she'll go, well, why? And I'm like, cause the vibe here needs me to be on the defensive. And, and she didn't pick it up, but I pick it up. So, you know, and when I came to LA, I actually stayed with people. Like I can't even, I, I think the first place I stayed was in Hollywood. Okay. And then believe it or not, Pasadena. You're jumping all around. I was all over the place. And then my attitude was very bad when I came here. It didn't gel well. I still was always on the defensive. Uh, I won't mention who, but got into some trouble with some, at the time, would be A-list actors. Um, And I knew it just wasn't a good, it was time for me to go. And I did. And then I got into music. And music was very good to me. And I came back to L.A. in 84 or 85 for a- with A&M Records. Uh, did an album here. They shelved it. They never put it out. But I wrote for Billy Paul. I you was know, Brandy say. Wells. I wrote for a lot of people. And I sang. I mean, music was my number one. It is today. With all the success I've had in the food industry, and I've done, I don't know, 18 or 19 feature films, uh, uh, I've written films, and, and I love doing film. I love doing movies. I love doing TV shows. But I nothing in the world affects me as much as music does. Well, that's what I love when I read your credits that you work with Billy Paul. Because if you grew up in the Philadelphia area and you're over 45, you know me and you Mrs. Know who Jones. Billy Paul is. And yeah. you sit there because Ken Garland used to play him on the radio. Yeah. It's AM radio. You would hear me and yeah. Mrs. Mrs. Jones. And it was, it was, a, it was a great song. And now, now, what do you love about music? I mean, is it now? Do you, do you do you play instruments? Do you write? I mean, what? I write. I write music and I sing. Now, how did you learn to start writing music? How did what did that? Come I didn't from? learn anything. It just it, it just came to me. I I was working at a restaurant, and this is I'm going way back now. I probably was maybe 19, 20. I was working at a restaurant. And one of the chefs, who passed away some years ago, <clears throat> he was from Italy. And he was a writer. He wrote music in Italy. And I used to watch him play the guitar at the end of the night. And I said to him, how do you learn how to do that? How do you do it? And he said, well, he said, you can learn to play piano. You can learn to play guitar. You can learn to play almost about any instrument. But you can't learn how to be a songwriter. You either are a songwriter or you're not a songwriter. It either comes to you or it doesn't. Now, you can learn the techniques right. of writing a song. That I'm not saying that. But I think writing music is a gift, as, as any other talent is. Um, and I don't know. I remember going home that night, and I wrote this song, and I, I, I wasn't able to play at the time. And I, 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 play, you know, I sang the melody, and I did everything I was supposed to do, and I brought him in the next day. And he was really blown away by it. And he said, you did this last night? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I think you have the ability. He said, you just need to hone it and work it. And I did. And then, you know, to me, Utopia was the smell of a recording studio. Like, I, that smell when you go in, I, I can't even describe it. I'm, I, it doesn't matter what I do. I am never as happy as I am when I'm in that recording studio writing, singing, doing what I love to do, working with other musicians, and just creating. Right. I love to create. Now, didn't you write a kid's song? No, I wrote... Uh, I, thought, I thought that somewhere said you wrote a kid's song and it was a popular kid's song. Maybe I read it No, wrong. I wrote the cheesesteak anthem with a, um, with a very talented songwriter. His name is Skip Dannenberg. In fact, he wrote, you know, three quarters of the song. Um, is that Herb Denenberg's kid? No, it isn't okay. Herb Denenberg's son. Everyone <laughs> asked me that. But he's an incredibly talented songwriter. And the cheesesteak anthem is hilarious. And we, we do it at schools. Kids learn it. It's like become a really cult song in the Philadelphia area or the cheesesteak world. And um, and I liked it. And, and um, I have done all different types of genre. Like the cheesesteak anthem is kind of in a Bruce Springsteen vibe, but believe it or not, R&B is really my roots. I mean, that's what I worked on, what I did. That's the kind of music that I've loved from when I was a kid. 
Uh, it just really speaks to me. I never was into rock much. I appreciate it. I appreciate all music. You know what I mean? Like when I well, that's not necessarily true. When I was a kid, I loved I loved Aerosmith. I loved Sticks. Um, um, I I I liked for a period of time. Um, well, no, I loved Steely Dan. Loved Steely Dan when I was a kid. So there were groups. I'm I'm pretty eclectic, but R&B is really where where my heart is. That that vibe, that groove, those melodies, um, just really you know really sang to me. And if you listen to my repertoire of of stuff, it's it, it's all ninety percent of it is is in that genre. So now you said you moved back to LA. You moved from LA back to Philly. You back then you came out for A and M. Then I came back to record the album with A&M Records. And then you went back to Philly. Then I went back to Philly when they shut. See, my problem was, I know this sounds, it sounds almost unheard of now, but they had, I remember finishing the album and I remember them coming to me saying, we love the album. We have no idea what to do with you. And I'm like, what do you mean? You put the album out. He goes, well, it's R&B. You don't sound like a rock singer. You sound like an R&B singer. I'm like, well, I'm doing R&B, so I should hope I sound like an R&B singer. But, he, but you're white, and I don't know how to market. Like, they didn't know how to market me. Back then, it wasn't as uh, as, as open right. as it is now. So they were like, and, then, and this is really insane. Back then, my group was very diverse, and there was a love song between me and, and um, a woman, an incredibly talented musician named Diane Thompson. And we sang this love song. And they basically said to me, what am I going to do with this? It's a white guy singing a love song to a black woman back then. And they were like, we don't know how, how this is going to work. We right. don't know how to release this. Now it's it's it's, it's nothing. But back then, it, 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 was still, it was still an issue. They didn't know what to do. And it infuriated me so much because the only people that cared at when I was doing music, the only people that cared about the color line at that time were record labels because people didn't. You know, I played clubs that were primarily black. No one cared that I was white right. and I was singing. No one. You know what I mean? It was it, it was it was the it was the studios and the labels that seemed to have an issue with with it and didn't know what to do. And then it, it really discouraged me to the point where all I wanted to do was play music. And I can't because there's so much politics involved. And so I stopped. You know, I stopped writing. I stopped performing. It must have been hard, though. I mean, I mean, but I know it's a frustration because it is. It was such, and there's politics and so much of the entertainment. And it sucks sometimes because the whole thing, the whole reason we get into entertainment or to sing or to do comedy is because we enjoy doing it. And then there's always a point where sometimes it's like they want to take it, the enjoyment out. And that's so, and that sucks because that really stifles so many artists who could have grown so much more. Well, it's politics, and I remember my manager was was a was a great guy, a really really good guy, and um, he said to me, "I'll never forget this because I was really upset. Like I was like I was like this isn't fair, and you know what is it? What does it have to do with the music?" And and I remember him saying to me, "Does that bother you?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, well, you know what, Tony, as much as I feel bad for you, he said to me, that has happened to black artists since the beginning of time. He said, so now you're just basically feeling what every black artist has felt through the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, that frustration. And I said, you know what, I agree with you and I know you're right, but it doesn't make it any less painful, painful to me. You know what I mean? And, you know, he was absolutely right. And it, it's a shame that we 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 live in a society where we're judged on all of these outside um, things instead of what we do and 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 looked at differently because of that. And it's politics. It's politics in music, in film, in in, in everything. Life is is just politics, and and it you know it, it saddened me for the fact that I it was me and and it, it pissed me off. But I can only imagine how many artists, black, white, Asian, or whatever, you know, that have been denied 
the ability to express themselves because of political, you know, political crap. Right. You know. So, so you stopped the recording. You were now. Now, how did? When did you start a restaurant? I mean, how did? How did this whole Tony Luke? Tony Luke start. I mean, what 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 made you go that direction? I mean, did you you said you had worked in restaurants before? My father had uh, a commissary for lunch trucks. I had uh, this rest an Italian restaurant. Now, what year is this? This is 1991, maybe. And my father said, "Look, I want to do something as a family." He's like, "I want to do something with me, you, and your brother, so we can build this together, and then it's ours." So, you know, because my father never liked working for someone, hated it, you know, and he said, this way you control your own destiny. So we built that restaurant by hand from the ground up, literally. I mean, my father laid the cement, we, we worked it, we dug it, we put the framing in, we put the windows in, and then we would stop because we were broke. Right, and then my father would work and get some more money, and then he would do do a little more. And again, I think the whole process took us well over a year to build this. And then finally, when it was done, we were completely wiped out of money. And I remember my father was fifty at the time, and I was thirty, and I think my brother was like twenty-seven. And I remember the night before we opened, it was me my father, my brother, and and we were sitting in the store and I saw a look on my father's face and he was tired. I mean, he worked three jobs his whole life, literally. Never was very, never was selfish. He always, ever, my brother and, and, my, and myself and my mother always came first and he looked at me and he said, I'm 50 and I'm tired. He said, I've worked like a dog my whole life. He said, if this doesn't work, I don't know what's left in me. And from the time we opened up the window, it worked. And it kept working and kept working and kept working. And we worked. I mean, I I remember we didn't take a salary for a year. I mean, it was insane how difficult it was. I mean, it, 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 it literally is the American dream story of starting with nothing and building it with your own hands and struggling and losing everything and... And never giving up. Never, never, never giving up. I mean, I don't think I've ever worked that hard in my life with my brother and my father. I mean, it was nonstop. And you pray and you hope that people will come. You, I, One of the greatest lessons I learned from my dad was um, people can go anywhere and spend their money anywhere. Why should they come to you? And it's not because you have a great product. I mean, it's part of it, but you need to let people know every time they walk up to that window how excited, how happy, and how honored you are that they're in front of that window buying your food. And I never forgot that. And I've always tried my entire life to, to treat everyone that I've come in contact with in, in business and out business with the respect that they're owed. I mean, everyone... Everyone deserves respect. Everyone deserves to to be heard. And I've always tried to do that. And I think that that is part of, of the success that we've had as a brand. I mean, we were taking names when no one was taking names. And let me tell you something. You tried to take a name in South Philly back in 92, and you're like, yeah, give me a cheesesteak, uh, give me a pork Italian and a fry. Your name? What do you mean my name? What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you work for the IRS? You need to know my name? What do you, cop? You want to know my, I'm like, no, dude, I just want to know your name. I'm not giving you my name. So we would go to them and go, all right, today you're Bob. And then it's hysterical because then we'd have their order. We go, Bob, 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 your order's ready, Bob. And I go, yo, Bob, my name ain't Bob. No, you didn't give me your name. I told you i call you Bob. And then little by little, it kind of caught on and... Our customers were more like family. Like we knew their names. We knew where their kids went to school. You know, we would see them and go, hey, how'd your son make out in the baseball game? Or, you know, I heard your son got hurt. Is he all right? And it was a place not to go just to eat. You knew that you were going and buying a sandwich from someone who wanted to know your name. When said, hey, how's your day? Really cared about how your day was. Well, I always say it also in the restaurant because I worked in the restaurant business. I did restaurant marketing too and a bunch of different jobs like that. But I always say when it comes to the the customer, we always called them guests. It was uh, 
as me when I go out to eat, if I go out and the service is excellent and the food's okay or they screwed up, I'll probably go back because the service was good. But if I go out and the food is excellent and the service sucks, I'm most likely not to go back because it's just, you want to go in. As I said, you want to feel at home. That's why you go to certain bars where the bartender knows you, where you know someone else. Now, what did you first serve when you when you started out? Well, how did you decide what you were going to serve? I mean, when you got this idea for a restaurant, did you say, okay, this is what we're going to serve? I mean, what, how did you pick the food you were going to serve? Well, no, it, it, listen, it was my father's idea from the door. I mean, it was his it was his baby. He He wanted us to do this together as a family. And my father would make roast beef and roast pork for parties when we were kids. And everyone would rave about his roast beef and roast pork. So his idea was to do a a small sandwich shop where we did roast beef, roast pork, chicken cutlets. That was his thing. And he had this recipe that we, you know, we tweaked, we altered, you know, we like this, we don't like that. And then we kind of we kind of got it down to where it is now. and But that was a collaboration of like this, don't like this, try this, try that. Because once you start doing volume of business, you can't cook the same way when you're cooking for 50 people as you are for 10,000 people. So you need to mass produce it. So you need to get exact quantities. And so now it's it, it's exactly where it needs to be. But the the real trivia here, and that's how I can find out people that have been to Tony Luke's in the very beginning. We did not serve steak. I read that somewhere. I read it. You did not have now. And it's just funny that that's become the, the cheese steak. But so what, when did you start doing it? And whose idea was that? And did it piss your dad off that you started doing well, cheese no, steaks? Well, no, it didn't piss our, it didn't piss my father off. It's just that every customer that would come to the window would go, you give me a cheese steak. Give me, and we're like, we don't sell cheese steak. It says roast pork. And I got to tell you, the best sandwich that we sell, hands down, is the pork Italian or the chicken colored Italian. I tell people, Tony Luke makes a great steak. We really do. We make it. We're right up there with the best of them. I mean, we, You know, again, you notice that I said we make a great steak. I didn't say we make the best steak because I'm. it always annoys me when someone says that they're the best at anything, especially when it comes to food because taste is relative. It's what you like doesn't necessarily mean what I'm going to like. That's like when I see a sign that says the coldest beer in town. Well, no, how is how right. can you prove I mean, it's the coldest beer? You There's, can't. You know, exactly. So when you, I've never said ever that I was better than any other place. I've said that I've always tried to do the best that I could do. Never that I am the best. I have the best cheesesteak in the world. But I will tell you this. We absolutely... I will go up against anyone. We are in the top when it comes to roast pork and chicken cutlet Italians. Well, the roast pork has the broccoli rod. Right? Broccoli rod, sharp provolone. The the way we do our pork, it is it is it is heaven. You know, I tell people they come to my store like I'm here. I'm gonna. I said, look, tr- eat the steak. You want to eat the steak? But I'm gonna tell you, you eat that roast pork Italian or you eat that chicken cutlet Italian, you'll never order a steak again. Well, it's funny because I I got because my girlfriend's going back east uh, next Tuesday, and her she went with her stepdad uh, after a game to get the cheese, and she hardly ever eat, she's very health conscious, but she said it was so great, and she's like, and I said, well, we're out here, I'm like, well, you know, when I would go back, let's get a cheese, I don't, you know, I can't, and I I watch what I eat now, but uh, yeah, she said it was great, but the roast pork was something that it's funny because I moved before Tony Luke started taking off, I moved, I was out, you know, I was moved probably in. 94, 92, 94. I mean, and I know you guys. 94, we just started to hit. And I had moved by then. And before, you know, and I, a friend of mine, this guy, John DeCrosta, who's a comic, I posted you were going to be in a show, and he raved about the pork sandwich. Well, you know, you guys have brought that to light. You and I think the Knicks. I saw something about the Knicks. The Knicks has a great roast pork. People were, I mean, when I was back in Philly, people weren't eating a roast pork. It was, and it sounds so great, but it wasn't a popular it, sandwich. It should be the sandwich of Philadelphia, but it is not. I think the roast pork is a 10 times better sandwich. I do. And 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 I'm saying this as someone who loves the cheesesteak. Right. I love the cheesesteak, but the pork is on an entirely different level. So after you started putting the cheesesteaks in, after you decided to do it, did you notice business picking up? 
Yeah, business picked up and we did great. It used to be steak and pork, steak and pork. And then what happened was because it's Philadelphia, I was starting to do all the shows and I was starting to do all the promoting because the problem was we were one cheesesteak place, one sandwich place in a city of 10,000. So I used all of my acting stuff, all of my creative stuff, and I created these series of ridiculous commercials that had nothing to do with food. No one had ever done that before. And we just started to get massive attention. And then the lines built and built, and then more people came, and then critics started to come because of all the attention and all the publicity. And the food was great. So they, you know, they started to give us awards. We won Best of Philly for Best Roast Pork, Best Cheesesteak. We made Philadelphia Hall of Fame. GQ Magazine gave us the Golden Dish Award for the Best Roast Pork in the World. Wow. Not in, in America. In the world, we were up against places from Spain and Italy and Germany and France, and we took it for the roast pork. And then uh, Gourmet Magazine voted us one of the 150 best restaurants in America. And it just, you know, Zagat rated us one of the highest rated, and it just kept pounding. And then business doubled, tripled, quadrupled, more, 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 more. And then the front store, front street store became this I- iconic location but every time I did a TV show they wanted to talk about cheesesteaks because it's Philly so then everyone started to go Tony Luke's cheesesteaks Tony Luke's cheesesteaks and I'm trying to say Tony Luke's roast pork Tony Luke's roast pork right. chicken cutlet because I like the chicken cutlet even better than the roast pork me personally but every TV show every personality ah Tony Luke's get the cheesesteak so cheesesteaks just became what we were known for because of all that massive publicity that we were getting nationally, everywhere. So after you get the publicity, you decide to expand, which is a very scary thing a lot of times, expansion, because as I said, you built this one from your from the ground. Hence, you know, you guys built it. You built a foundation. And a lot of times you hear when a restaurant's hot, when they open another location, a lot of times it hurts them. How did why did when did you decide to open another location and where did you choose that location? What did you think? Well, the first location I decided that I wanted to do was on 18th Street, 18th and Sampson in Center City, and I failed miserably. I didn't know what I was doing with a second leg. Like, I just, I, I didn't have my act together, and I lost that store. But I will tell you this. Anyone, anyone that's listening, the greatest thing in the world that you can do is fail. And people may think that what I just said was ridiculous. It's not. The only time failure becomes failure is when you've learned nothing from that failure. Sometimes failure is better than 20 years in school to learn what you're doing. And I've made a thousand mistakes and I've learned from everyone. And I can promise you, as I move forward in life, I'll make a million more. Because you never stop learning. But those mistakes led me to where I am. And I I took on a partner in 2008. I think it was 2008. Um, a gentleman named Ray, Ray Rostelli, who has a meat company. And great guy, very intelligent man, super businessman. And we partnered up to start opening up stores. And we did okay. It was good. I made mistakes again, but it was right. And then three years ago, three and a half, yeah, about three and a half years ago, almost four years ago, I met a gentleman named John Moser, who I call the savior of Tony Luke's. He streamlined it, got it together, and we went from three stores that we were doing to, I think we have 20... I think it's 24 currently operating. We have six more scheduled to open. And then we have 18 or 19 in the pot for the following year to start the expansion. And we're all up and down the East Coast. And the one thing Tony Luke's can say is out of the real cheesesteak, when I say real, I mean, I'm not trying to say that anything outside of Philadelphia isn't real. That's not what I meant. I take that back. Out of the three, out of the cheesesteak places that were born, in Philadelphia, I think we're the only one that's international. 
because we have two stores in Bahrain. How did that happen? Because I was looking at the website and I was like, it's just so random. You know, you sit there and go, okay, like, and how did you pick Bahrain? I mean, well, Ray, Ray Rustelli did a lot of work overseas with his meat company. And we believed together that we didn't want to chase the same dollar that everyone was chasing here. And that we believe that it would work. We believe that uh, the Middle East would embrace that type of sandwich. And they did. And it was great. And they treated me unbelievably well. I remember going to the Middle East for the first time. I was scared to death. I figure I'm hated. They're going to want to shoot me as soon as they get off the plane. Right. And I was so wrong. I have never been treated better. I have never felt more at home there. To me, this was my personal experience. Uh, the people were amazing. You know, it had nothing to do with the government or extremists. You know, people forget that people are trapped where they live. They Some people don't have a choice but to live where they live. You know, we live in America, and we have all of these freedoms, and we take a ton of them for granted. You want to pick up and move to LA? Pick up and move to LA. Right. You want to pick up and move, you know, to Chicago? You can do it. Some people are poor, very poor. I mean, poor, poor, where we would look and go, oh my God, how is that even possible in this day and age? And they can't go anywhere and they're stuck there. And even though everything around them can get crazy, they're good people. I mean, there's people are good all over the world. You know what I mean? Just like they're good and bad all over. And 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 they embraced me and welcomed me into their homes and 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 made me feel like part of their families. And everyone I met, everyone without exception, when I was there, were incredible. And it, it saddened me to leave. I couldn't wait to get back again. I made friends there, and 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 it's a struggle and it's hard. And and they seem to it amazes me that when I when I get outside this country and I'm around people that have it very, very tough, they seem to appreciate what they have more than we appreciate what we have here. And it's sad that we don't realize and we don't recognize how incredible. And I'm not saying this country is the best. I mean, the great. I mean, we have problems. Right. We you know, we have problems. I know we have problems, but it's still a country that you can work them out. It's tough and it's hard and it's, you go through it. It's still a country where I can sit here and be talking to you about your business and your beliefs and it's fine. Right. Where a lot of places, it's not fine. And you can make real change here. You know, you can. You have to keep at it. It's like business. I always say, in anything in life you want to be successful, you're going to get knocked down all the time. People will step on you constantly. That's just the way life is. But if you stay down or you go backwards, then you're dead. Then those people that stepped on you, they won. You pick yourself up and you keep moving forward. Even if it's not a foot, if it's an inch, you never give up. You never say die. You keep moving until the last breath of your body. And I'm telling you, you will succeed. You just can never, never back down. Keep moving forward. And I know this is weird. We wanted to talk about cheesesteaks. Oh, no, no, no. It's and good. I've, be no, it's, I've become this no, but, political. This, no, but no, but you think radical. about that. No, but no, you think about that. And no, no, honestly, this is why this is why I love doing this show because people come in and wherever it goes, it's organic. But what what you're saying is, and it's right. You have had success, but you also, I mean, you music is your first love. But then you've come out and you, you your restaurants are doing great. So it's just that you're right. If you have, if you keep pushing. We we have those choices that we can make it here. It's like anything. That's why in L.A. you see people move back. Everyone comes out to be an actor, and you know. And then two years later, you go, "Hey, whatever happened to that guy?" Oh, they move back, and that's the thing because people give up on it. So now, so the Middle East. Is, I mean, you say open up the brain. Now, how did you get into the stadiums? Because I, I tell you, I, when I went back, because I had not been back for a while until my girlfriend. I was for two years. I was going back and forth back east once a month. And Oof, I not, that's tough. Yeah, but it was it was good, and I just got over being sick, and so it helped me. The plane trip was a pain, but it helped me get out of L.A. Nice. But I never met. I've been never into the ball, new ballpark, and I went, and I remember sitting there going, "I want to, I want to get Tony loose. I want to." And I go, and I, we're, I said, okay, it's when the Phillies were good, and the place was packed. It's like three years ago. They were okay, and I went to like four games, and every time, every time I go, I want to get this Tony Luke's because, as I said, I was. Before the time, 
the line is always so damn long that I end up getting a schmitter or go, I, I end up getting a schmitter. I don't know why people they, they I don't know how to even watch the game. I mean, I see people yeah. in line for hours. I'm sitting around. Yeah, exactly. I'm sitting There's lines going to the entrance, and I'm sitting to myself going, don't they want to watch the exactly. game? Exactly. How did you get into the stadiums? And it must be crazy because, I mean, Eagles fans, Phillies fans, you know, we love to eat. And you're right. I always sit there the same thing. I'm like, I don't, I want to watch the game. I don't want to sit there and wait. Was that easy to get into the stadium? Well, I got to tell you, I have been very lucky when it came to that. We have all, we, we have been asked to go to a lot of those places. Like I didn't, uh, I didn't solicit it. You know, we got a phone call and said, look, we really want Tony Luke's in here. You know, let's make this work. And we did. Now with the uh, Acme, now you're an Acme too. We have our our, our uh, frozen food line is an Acme. Okay, so now how did okay so or as they say in Philly, Acme. Well, it's funny because I I used to go to Acme in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Because <laughs> yeah. I remember it was one I would we would ride our bike up because this was got this is probably 1970 72. We were I was nine, and we would uh, they gave away these. Uh, Tickets like they have these tickets, these stamps of, of hockey players. We would go up there, and I remember that. I remember going to Acme to get the uh, Canada Dry. I used to put the flyers on the on the cans. I remember going to collect them. Mm-hmm. So I remember the Acme. So when, how is the re- uh, reviews of your frozen food? What made you decide to start doing a frozen line? Well, what we did originally <laughs> was this um, frozen cheesesteak with a roll. It was separate. You had the meat, and it was in a bag, and you would microwave it. And I have to tell you, for a microwavable product. It was good. Was it like the store? Absolutely not. You know, people would call me and go, I bought your microwavable product in the store, and it doesn't taste as good as Front Street. And I go, did you expect a microwavable <laughs> cheesesteak? Ta- it was for. It was supposed to be for college kids, or if you had a yearning for a cheesesteak. And let me tell you something. It was actually good. It was a good sandwich. And then I kind of wavered away from that, and now what we have is we have our steak that we use in our stores. We have it in a... Uh, in, in the supermarket to buy, like, for lack of a better word, the steakums or the sliced steak. And um, it's very, it's you know, it's a great product. It's very good. Because people were like, well, I don't want to microwave it, but I want your steak. I want to use my own roll. I don't want, you know, so now they can go in the Acme's and they can buy the uh, box and cook the steak at home. See, that's great. Because out here, we can, we, actually, they have steak out here, believe it or not. And and now they have Scrapple out here. You can find Scrapple. Oh, which, I love Scrapple. I love Scrapple. It's I not people, in any menu, any restaurant I've been in so far oh, out yeah. here. No, no, no actually, the Ralph's has it. I found it. but Because I tell people, actually, there's a place called Philly's Best. And they had, uh, for a while, they had the Eagles games. And, but they didn't have any beer. So it's like, you know, and they had breakfast. So they had a pork roll sandwich and Scrapple. And a guy oh. who told me about it, and he said, uh, he goes, yeah, we went there. Me and my friends, and I guess they didn't know how popular Scrapple would be. He goes, we ate them out of it. I guess there was, was like 10 of us, and we got it all. And he goes, the guy went to North Hollywood to get another package because they just figured it out because it's Philly's best to own Oh, I love Scrapple. Yeah, the Scrapple is good. You got to get a Scrapple sandwich at your store. That, 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 we have Scrapple at our front you, street store. Oh, man. Yeah. It's just everyone, everyone disses Scrapple. And I go, you know what? Until I you try, Scrapple, I said, yeah. until you try it, shut up. Because once you try it, and my dad always, we eat it on toast. And it's so damn good. Oh. And I go back. So, so okay. So the stores are blowing up, and now you're, you're getting on TV more. And I remember seeing you on Man vs. Food. Now, that must have been great because they spotlight different places that are popular. And so, how did that come about? Did they just sit well, there? Well, they actually called me up originally <clears throat> to talk to me about doing um, a different sandwich other than the cheesesteak. But I knew from the show that what you wanted was the challenge. That was the main thing of the show. And if you get the challenge, you're the star of the show. The, yeah. So I remember them coming to me going, I'll never forget. There's like, you know, it's a shame you guys. And I got, I do have a challenge. And they're like, you don't. I'm like, I do. In fact, your timing is perfect because we're about to, this week, initiate the five-pound cheesesteak. And they were like, you got, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Now, I remember, I'm doing this all on the fly. You're ad-libbing this. I'm ad-libbing this entire thing. And they were like, well, we didn't know that. I'm like, yeah, I got a five-pound cheesesteak. It's absolutely amazing. They go, let's do it. So now I got to figure out how I'm putting together a five-pound cheesesteak <laughs> to get it done. So if you watch the show, you'll see them go, so normally we asked about the odds, but there are no odds. And I go, no, you're the first. So I, I don't know if it's, the, the, you know, me just with the entertainment background and, and loving improv. You know, I used to love to do improv, and I love comedy. Love, love, love doing comedy. In fact, 
a, a real quick story, yeah. not to get off base, but when I did the movie Invincible, the character they originally sent me this, uh, this the uh, side uh, to play this Eagle fan who was yelling at like um, Greg Kinnear's character, Dick Vermeil. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. I said, it's I'm, I don't want to do that. I said, I saw when they sent the side, they can't send, you know, they send the whole page. And there was a character named Alice Cooper. And who this character was, was this six feet, you know, tall, skinny, skinny, uh, skinny kid who um, who was a huge Eagles fan, but he was a lunatic, you know, and he wore this this green cape and, you know, and I want I want that role. So I call my agent and I go, I want that role. And they go, well, you can't. He said, Tony, you're 5'9", 400 pounds, and you're bald. This guy's 28, right. six feet five, <laughs> with hair down to his waist. And I said, no, I want that role. Just put me in a room and let me audition. And they were like, you're going to waste our time. I'm like, no, take, I go, I audition. I remember walking in, and Erickson Core was the director. What a wonderful man. What a great guy to work for. He was amazing. And he sat there and he said, Tony, I have a dilemma. And I'm like, what's the dilemma? He goes, I have to decide whether I get an actor to fit the role or I fit the role to the actor. He said, give me two weeks, I'll let you know. Two weeks later, he calls me, I get the role. So now the role was supposed to be straight. I love comedy. So now I do the role, very comedic. He tells me, it's not a comedy, Tony. Back it down. I go even more over the top. Because unfortunately, I kind of do what I want to do in front of the camera. So, right. you know, and I was respectful to the director, but I, I knew I felt this role. So finally he said to me, if you do it that way one more time, I can't promise that I won't cut it. I said, well, do what you got to do, but I really think this character works this way. He goes, I love it. He said, Tony, I'm laughing hysterical, but I don't know if this is a comedy scene. Right. And I, I said, I really think it is. Trust me, I think it is. And to his credit, he gave me the leeway that I wanted, and he let me explore that role, and I love him for that. And that is one of the most popular characters in that movie is the cape-clad eagle fan trying out for the team. It's hysterical. And and I enjoyed it because I love doing comedy, so I always play heavy, heavies in other movies. And then I had lost all the weight. You know, it dropped all the way down. And then I said, you know what? I need to get myself out there. And I wrote a, a script... Um, I wrote a story that we turned into a script called The Nail, the story of Joey Nardone, which is in every language in every country now. But it was the first time that I wrote it, produced it, I sang the title track for the movie, and played the lead. And it was a small indie, and it was, in I think in 2009, it was the sixth most watched movie on cable. And it, it, 20th Century Fox picked it up, and to this day, it's a very low-budget film, but I couldn't be more prouder of it. And it's a very heavy subject matter, and it's based on a true story. And it's about abuse uh, of a mother and a child uh, and an ex-con who moves in to the apartment building who's been abused as a child and doesn't want to get involved. And he strikes up this relationship with the young kid, and it becomes like a father and son relationship, and they save each other and the mother. It, 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 if, if, if you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend even looking for the trailer because the trailer's on YouTube and it's on iTunes. And it's a very difficult movie to watch. I, I held nothing back. And I'm really proud of that film. And I'm proud that it made it to every language. It's in every right. language. I'll have to check it out. Just because I love, I love, I love all kinds of movies. So, so now, how the TV stuff? Now you're you're doing. You're I did doing... Frank and Food for one season no, on Spike. Okay, now how does that happen? And I, I know you've been on Bobby Flay's show, I believe. Or... Oh, I've done I, I, maybe 15 of the shows. I did Bobby Flay. I worked with Michael Simon on Dinner Impossible. I've done Best Thing I've Ever Eaten. I did Food Wars, Food Feuds. The but, list goes on and on and on. Was the Dinner Impossible the one where he did something in Philadelphia and he had? I saw something where he was in Philadelphia. And this was Michael Simon, not Robert Irvine. Okay, wrong guy. Okay. It was when Irvine lost the show at that time. Okay. And he was replaced by Michael Irvine. And then Robert Irvine came back again, obviously. And he's a good man. He's a good friend of mine. And he crushed it. And so was Michael Simon, another great guy. What did you have to do for that show? They wanted, we had to make all these food. And I had to make cheesesteaks on, I had to figure out how to make it. And we used an open grill. And then I used a, um, a hotel pan. 
with no heat regulation, trying to cool it down with ice and throw the steak on and make this food. And you you only have like, you know, one or two hours right. to do it. And we did it. And I'll tell you, it was one of the roughest shows I ever had to do. Now, what is Frankenfood? Frankenfood was on Spike last year. Uh, it was hilarious. And it was a show that uh, I did with uh, Josh Capon, who's a great chef and another great guy, New York guy. And we would judge these outrageous foods. And whoever would win out of all these foods would win $10,000. And then they would go on to have their food featured at whatever restaurant was featured for that show. And it did great. I just think that, you know, I I don't know if it was the format for Spike, I guess. and And I think it kind of fell a little bit to the wayside. But I think the show, I believe in my heart that if the show had gotten a second season... I think that everyone would have embraced it. It was a great team. But I got to tell you, Spike treated me and Josh fantastic. Honestly, I would go back and work with Spike in a heartbeat. I think that they're an amazing network to work with. And let me tell you something. They took a risk doing food. They did. And I got to give them all the credit in the world for going out there and taking that risk. And everyone from Sharon Levy and all the people at Spike, they made, really made us feel like family. Amazing. If anybody gets a chance to work with Spike, believe me, you'll be happy. Incredible, incredible network. And so what I did when that show ended, I was on a hiatus for a while, and now I have an internet show that is doing incredibly well called Food Mashups. And I'm actually filming tomorrow at a place called Antonio's Pizzeria here. Where's that at? I think it's North Hollywood. Okay. And um, they have a really cool food mashup that they sell at the place. So what I do is it's kind of... Sort of like a diner's drive-ins and dives, but only I'm highlighting these crazy concoctions that people are putting together. And this will be our ninth show that we've done. And every week on YouTube, it gets bigger and bigger. And on the website, which is foodmashupswithans.com, people are submitting their food mashups as well. So you can watch the show, and then you could create these great dishes at home, and then upload them and the recipe to the website. And kind of have this whole communal people from all over the world, you know, mix matching food and sharing ideas. I love it. I'm so proud of it. And we're doing really well. See, that's cool. Because my mashup was I always thought someone needs a tortellini sandwich. Someone said, you're crazy. I go, a tortellini sandwich would be good with an Alfredo sauce. Right. But what's weird is as a kid growing up in an Italian family, we all the time, we used to take Italian bread, cut it open, smother it with butter, and then take spaghetti and, and put it in the roll. And eat it at the same time as you're eating meatballs. I yeah. mean, so it was carbs <laughs> on starch on fat, you know, because it's the healthy diet. Exactly. You know, it's the South Philly diet. So now you you did a sh- uh, show. You were out here Saturday. Wasn't there some show you did? Yes, we did a thing called Thrillist Road Trip, Okay, which was great. Thrillist is just killing it. So what they wanted to do is they wanted to come to L.A. and give the people of L.A. a chance to try all these different uh, foods from all different parts of the country. So we were there, Lardo's was there, Gino's Pizzeria from Chicago, Lardo's from Portland, Oregon, Luke's Lobster was there, and then they had a few other places that were doing these different salads, and you just walked in, and it showed the population of the city, and and they made it kind of look like you were in New York or in Chicago, and and um, I, Thrillist has been super supportive to Tony Luke's, super supportive to all of these different food venues, and, you know, please, man, if, if you don't know who Thrillis is, and I can't see how you don't, support them because they're amazing. And they're, they're, they're for the millennials, man. They're like cutting edge for now. You know what I mean? They're well, on I, point for now. I always check it because I always say, you know, the top whatever restaurants. And I always go, well, what's, what's in New Jersey? What's in Pennsylvania? Or like, or like the oldest restaurant. And for out here, you don't want the happy hours or, or the, you know, the tacos. Because you always say, okay, well, breakfast burrito. You know, everyone in Burbank loves Corner Cottage. And then sit there and go, corner, but everyone knows who doesn't go there. If you go to Apollo Burger, which is a small place, they have great breakfast burritos. But that's the stuff you find. You find different places that you would never know of that you would just drive by and go. Like if you drove by this place called Apollo Burger, you look at it and go, that's the stupidest looking place. It, food must suck because it just looks like an old, but you go in and you get a breakfast. That's all I've ever had there. And uh, and they're great. And that's the thing. Thrillist points that stuff out. Yeah. So, you know, like they just had a, a, a article about some guys in Glendale who basically have like a bar out of their house. They make drinks. They can't charge it. They can't charge you, but they have like you have to follow them on Instagram and send them an email. Maybe they'll invite you over. 
and it's that stuff. It's the cool stuff. And you're right, it is for millennials. So now that did you make you made a cheesesteaks at this thing? We did cheesesteaks and roast pork. And it was funny. Everybody that came up was like, I want a cheesesteak. I want to I'm like, you gotta try the roast pork. Nah, I want a cheesesteak. I'm like, you have to try the roast pork. And then the people I convinced for the roast pork were like, oh my God, where did this sandwich come from? And that's why every chance I get, I promote the roast pork or the chicken cutlet Italian because I think people are doing a really great disservice to themselves by only eating the cheesesteak when they come to Tony Luke's. Yeah, they got to get because the roast pork is the bomb. So now how long are you in L.A. for? Uh, I film tomorrow and uh, Thursday I'm packing, Friday I'm out. And now you go back to Philly? I go back to Philly. I've been here for a while. And then we have our we have another store opening in Ocean City, Maryland. So I'm there for the grand opening. And then we have another one in Northeast opening. So I'm there. We have so many scheduled to open. Sometimes it's hard for me to, to keep track. But John Moser and my son Joey and Michael, uh, you know, my son Tony, uh, manages the Front Street store. And it's good to work with my kids. And and it, it's, been a, it's been an incredible ride, man. It, it's... You know, it's never stop, never stop, never stop, never stop. I, I, that's a mantra that I live by. Now, are you still making music? I do. In fact, last year, I did a song called Right Here, and it was up for Grammy consideration. Was that, did you, you sang it? I sang it. I didn't write it. A really good friend of mine, uh, Michael Constantino out of England, wrote the song. And uh, he's like my son. Like, really, I know him so long. He's a great kid. And I sang it. We released it uh, on a, a label called Philersey Records, which is like Philly, Jersey. And it went all the way through to the final level for for the Grammys. And it was great getting a letter saying your song is up for Grammy consideration. It's a really good track. And it's on iTunes. A lot of my stuff is on iTunes. And I, I really want to do an album this year. And I like certain types of music. I'm getting to that age now where, you know, look, some things in life are just what they are. You know, I'm not getting a hit number one record. Right. I'm not going to be, you know, at my age, it is what it is, but I enjoy the music and I want to do an album of a lot of good stuff, like a really cool kind of jazz infused, older ballad type stuff, like on a Michael Bublé vibe, because that's what I love to do. And if I had time, I'd even do a small tour and, and 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 just go out and play and i don't care if no one i want people to come you you want people to hear your music but it's not a driving factor in me if no one buys the album i want to make the album for me you know sometimes the best satisfaction you get is when you do things for you when you do things for the sake of becoming a millionaire i want to make money you get disappointed or you know you get let down and it kind of takes away from what you what you wanted to do originally, you know. Well, you got you could play a little Philadelphia tour, play a little Wildwood, play a little. I, you know, you know, I could, and and I and want you probably to. sell out because they know you. I just don't have time. That's crazy. It's just yeah. the time. That's and so you're not acting right now. I am not doing any acting. I'm, I'm working with two people on two new projects. Uh, a good friend of mine is well, it's like my God, he's like family. Is Leo Rossi, and and uh, Leo's a you know tremendous actor. He's and he's working on some films right now that, you know, we're trying to get financed. And I'm always up for doing a role. I love it. It's, it's what I like to do. And, and I love my music. You know, I don't classify. I try to tell people, you're not one thing. Right. And it's not bad if you are one thing. If you love being one thing, great. But don't limit yourself because society says you can only be a doctor. You can only be, you know, a truck driver. You can only be. You be everything that you want to be and that you think that you are. I want to thank you for coming on. I uh, thank you. It was fun. Now the web website uh, for food mashups is foodmashups with an s dot com, and then tonylukes.com. And your tweet. And my Twitter is at Tony Luke Jr. Tony Luke Jr. Instagram is at Tony Luke Jr. And we do have a public page on Facebook. Well, check them out, people. Also follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website coopertalk.net. I have over 380 episodes up there. You can send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. I'll get back to you. iTunes and Stitcher, type in one word, Cooper Talk, and you can find me. And go to my new website, stopthesalt.com. That's right. Buy my cookbook. When I got out of the hospital three years ago with my heart problem, I wrote a low-sodium cookbook at StopTheSalt.com. Check it out. The book has 120 recipes, easy to make, okay? You're not going to, no pictures, because guys, you get intimidated. It's aimed for guys. You get intimidated when you see a picture. You don't want to cook. <laughs> not tons of uh, recipes. You know, I mean, I get. I love to cook. And if I don't have cumin in the house, I get pissed off. There's nothing like that. You don't need any of that. So buy that. 
StopTheSalt.com. If you go to Amazon, you can get it, but come to my website. I make more money. I'll leave an autograph for you. So go to TonyLukes.com. Follow me on Twitter, at CooperTalk. And that's about it. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'll talk to you guys next week.